Welcome to Listen With Your Eyes, the show that is heard, not seen. I'm your host, the blind guy, Callum Brennan, and on this podcast, we'll be discussing what it's like to live with a disability. Let's get started. Joining me today is my wonderful guest, Val. Uh, Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for joining me. Uh, so, we will um, start in the usual place. Uh, where are you f- from, Val? Uh, and is that the same as where you're living currently? I'm originally from New notification. Essex. I was born in sort of East London, Essex uh, borders, a place called Ilford. Um, I moved to the Midlands about. 12 years ago okay. and I'm, I've lived in Droitwich Spa in Worcestershire for the last seven years. Nice, that's cool. Uh, so when it comes to your blindness, like, were you born with it and uh, what level uh, do you have? I was born with congenital cataracts, uh, which are hereditary. I always say that sight is a rare commodity in our family because most of us don't have it. Um, Fair enough. But I, I've, as a result of the cataracts, I've developed uh, nystagmus, which is very common, which is the involuntary movement of the eye. That okay. means that you can't focus on, on things. Um, and I would say that everything I see wobbles. I, it doesn't because my brain's got used to interpreting those messages. But sure. I always say that if you, if people could see what I see, that it will totally freak them out because it's probably very similar to going on a trip because everything's moving around and shaking okay. um, and i imagine that's what it's like if, if, if you're tripping so uh, yeah. not that i ever have you understand sure. but um i also now have um some scar tissue in the eye because the type of operations i have the old style removal of the cataracts not the new ones they do right. um but so i i was uh, say that i predate the aspiration surgery which is what they do now um, I also have some scar tissue. I also have developed um, over the years blepharitis, which a friend of mine lovingly described as dandruff of the eye. Nice. Okay. Um, I've also got dry eyes and pho- uh, the, the dry eye and blepharitis between them have, made, uh, have given me photophobia as well. So I'm now much more light sensitive than I used to use, used to be. Right. Okay. So when it comes to like uh, being outside, do you wear sunglasses or? I, I find actually sunglasses quite restrictive right. um, because I have quite a restricted field of vision because of the, my lack of ability to focus properly. Um, so I tend to find a hat, so I've got a nice collection of, of Baker Boy baseball caps and okay. floppy hats now. Um, but I, I use a long cane anyway. Uh, but I find the what has affected it more is my night vision and it's car headlights coming towards me the glare of car headlights now is really really hurts my eyes so sure. uh, if i'm if i'm in a in, in a car at night i have to sit um away from where the traffic would be coming towards us it's quite it, it, it actually is worse at night surprisingly than it is during the day and that's sure. one of the benefits of living in a, a smaller sort of town is that you don't we don't have the level of of traffic i used to to live in central london and i can't imagine living there now um with with the amount of photophobia that i've got because i've just been a nightmare it was traffic all the time so it's nice to live in a smaller place i could definitely see how that would be an advantage Mm. so like you mentioned like at night and with uh, car headlights but as far as like with that obviously being artificial light is it normally artificial light that's worse i guess is what i'm trying to ask or i assume it is artificial light is is worse um bright sunlight particularly if it's reflecting off things can be quite quite difficult and another time that i really struggle is when it's been raining and then the sun comes out because you've got the light bouncing back off the pavement as well and that's really not very nice so it's just avoiding sort of like bright lights i also the, the biggest i think area that's affected me I, I love live music and i used to go to loads and loads of gigs but i find the the lights at gigs now will give me a migraine um and okay. i did actually watch um evanescence from under a coat um and i put a blindfold on when i went to the killers last time because i knew that i would end up with a migraine otherwise uh, but out outdoor gigs are better so i'm um, due to the kit was due to the killers last year 
fingers crossed we'll be seeing them again in May, uh, but I sure. doubt it. Um, but that's at a, a that's at the Rico Arena in Coventry, so I should be okay with that. But it's indoors. It's when I can't get away from that flashing light source, and that's the problem. It's it is more it is more artificial light that causes the problems. Okay, imagine um, you wearing a blindfold at a gig would be an interesting look. <laughs> Absolutely. So fold up my white sticker and put the blindfold on. <laughs> yeah. Don't wear it going in. Don't wear, no. wear it during it and take it off at the end. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't know if they'd probably question letting you in if you turned up with it on. Quite possibly, yes. Yeah. But uh, they, they were fine with it. I mean, we'd already just taken our seats and so no one said anything. But me up dancing with the blindfold on was quite entertaining. Sure. No, definitely. I would imagine so. So you mentioned about uh, your cane there. Did you mm. learn to use it from a young age as a result of being born blind? No, um, because I had a decent level of, of partial sight when I was younger. Sure. Uh, and the school, the, I went to, I had a mix of both a, a special school and then mainstream. We, uh, I went right. to special school for the partially sighted where we weren't, we were actually blocked from learning Braille, having any mobility or daily living skills training um, okay. because and our careers advice included, don't tell them you can't see until you've got the job. Sure. Um, I got into a bit of trouble for saying that surely the, the, the long cane or the Labrador would be a bit of a giveaway. Um, yeah. So I, was, I had a bit of a reputation for, for being a bit cheeky at school. Uh, but we integrated with the local high school when I was 14. And okay. I have to say that, was, that really changed my whole perspective on learning. I'd been top of the class in most things at the, the school for the partially sighted and believe sure. me that wasn't difficult um, right. because we had when you've got a class of six it's quite easy to be top of the class of it yeah, uh, so sense. i went in went into classes of kind of 25 30 uh, but i had a couple of absolutely wonderful teachers i think it's very easy in a mainstream school when you've come from being the kind of being that that really big fish in a small pond to being just a tiny fish in a big pond it's very difficult but it's very easy to get lost in that situation sure. uh, but i had a couple of exceptionally good teachers who really did um make sure that I had the opportunity to, to thrive, including one teacher, my English teacher. She used to get us to, to read plays aloud. And that's something I, I, I was going to two to drama classes outside of school. Uh, me and my sister both had proper East London Essex accents. You know, I kind of really clicked like that and we talked really fast. But my mum hated it. So okay. she sent us to, to drama lessons to get rid of our nasty accents. Uh, right. So my English teacher knew I was I was acting and doing various things outside of school. So she would sit with me and point to the bits that so I could read aloud because she said I was by far the best actor in in the class and she didn't want me to miss out because she knew I could get the characters right. She would help me find the words on the page, but I would actually be be that character, and it was absolutely brilliant. Okay, that's that. Sounds good. Um, to clarify, because I know you said it was um, that your um, eye condition is uh, inherited. Mm. Does your sister have it as well? Then yes, my sister, brother. Uh, my brother has married someone with exactly the same eye condition. It's quite okay. ironic. Yeah. Uh, my husband is also visually impaired. He has a different eye condition though, um, and also my nephew and niece have it. But one of my nieces doesn't. She's she's got full sight. Okay. That's fair. So, um, with your, with both your siblings, did they go to the same specialist school as you? My sister did. Me and my sister are two years apart, so right. we had a very similar learning experience. My brother went to mainstream school up until sixteen, where he went to Worcester New College. Okay. So he did. He did his sixth form there. Uh, okay. So, when, so to clarify, so when. Could you say it was uh, 14 when um, the special school integrated? Mm. When did you, like, learn to use the cane then? Like, how did you go about doing it? I didn't use, learn to use long cane until I was probably in my early 30s, so oh, quite okay. a long time That's later. Yeah. And, and I'd kind of blagged it all my life up until that point, even as my sight... My sight has got very steadily worse okay. over the years. It's it, you probably I probably wouldn't even notice. It's it's quite stable now. Um, sure. Went through a couple of uh, phases where it it got 
it got worse quite quickly. I had a, a, a dip when I got the, the blepharitis and then the photophobia. Um, the site dipped a bit then, but it's 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 stable again now. Sure. Um, but the, I, I decided to, I needed to to learn to use a cane when I fell down three steps and didn't even notice. I'd you know when you you walk along. Um, I landed on my feet, but it really jarred sure. my back, and I didn't even know the steps were there. Right. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I'm going to have an accident at some point soon if I don't use use a, a long cane. So, sure. At the time, I was running um, an outreach service in West London for RNIB, uh, and okay. on, as part of that, I was on a, a forum for all kind of local services across all all the sort of like the Greater London area. And I knew the rehab worker for Camden, where I lived. She was on it as well. So I phoned her up and said, Georgia, can you do some mobility training with me, mate? Because I'm going to have an accident soon if I don't. So she came out and did mobility training. And that's kind of how I, I got it. I didn't have to go through any official process. I, okay. I happened to know the rehab worker in my area. Yeah, that's always handy. Yes. <laughs> so if you'd gone that long without using the cane, like as far as getting around there were you with the site you had were you okay just getting around on your own or did you often would you use people's guides i rarely ever used anyone to guide me um i resisted being guided as well it, i think coming from a family where most of us are visually impaired it's a real sure. help in some ways but it's also a bit of a hindrance because independence is bashed into you from from a very ver- very early age and you of like we can you can do this you know don't give me i can't see excuses you know get sure. on and do your own your own stuff so from quite a young age i was able to sort of like do my own ironing in fact i did my sister's ironing as well for money because i quite like ironing um no, fair enough but yeah but also it, i think for that we, we were brought up to be really independent and i think over the years that's both been both a blessing and a curse because asking for help becomes that much more difficult sure. and that's something i've had to do i've had to address recently the, the job i'm in now actually has quite a lot of admin as part of it um and to one fair, fairly okay database that it just takes me ages to use it and one that frankly is the most inaccessible bit of rubbish i've ever come across in my life okay. um, and i was really struggling to keep up with, with the demand so i've had to get a support worker um, for the first time ever i've needed a support worker and that process of having to and I, I use the word carefully here admit that i can't do something for myself it was quite tricky but actually sure. there's no shame in that there's no shame at all no. loads of people can't do stuff you know we're, none of us are born knowing everything yeah and it's probably something i'll get into more detail in a f- mm. future episode admittedly but similar to you in some sense i didn't come from a uh you know none of the rest of my family were severely sight impaired but my parents did very much encourage you know um, independence and uh, the blindness isn't um, an excuse um, obviously there are some times where it can be a hindrance obviously you have to be realistic but you know there were times where especially when I was a kid maybe I would try and use it as an out and you know my mum or dad would be there like you know you know don't be silly uh, so on that front it's been good for me but I've always Mm. realised it was because I'm sure we'll get on to later um, the Royal National College for the Blind which is where you and I met as in you were my uh, tutor for my first year Um, but like when being there it was something I would talk to um, students there who obviously some had lost their sight recently some hadn't but there were some who like you're saying you know didn't like admitting that they needed help Mm. at times Um, like say in the supermarket and um you know in town in general and i would like just i'd often say to them it's there like there's nothing wrong with like so to use the supermarket as an example for me it was there like you know i walk into big tesco's what's the point of me just going around on my own and be there forever and probably end up feeling quite crappy the longer Mm. it takes and the you know that how i struggle to read stuff and all that stuff when i can just you know ask for assistance get it done pretty quickly you know and without much hassle granted it is slightly dependent on the person assisting you but Mm. you know i think it's fair to say that nine times out of ten maybe eight times out of ten they're very good 
um you know you do you do get um as is anything in life you do get some duds um but yeah i just i think yeah like you said there's nothing wrong with admitting that you need help because even if uh, even if you're fully abled you know you're going to need help at some things well it's something that i used to cover as part of the um rnc i was the um tutor for, for some of the, the students but also i taught employment skills yes um so most people had that that lesson with me um, and one of the things i used to say to people was it actually is no shame to say that you can't do anything and i used the example of every day i used to get the train home from hereford to droitwich sure um and that train london midland or uh, west midlands rail now um is a different color and a different style train to the um Arriva Wales or whatever that is now I think it's Transport for Wales now isn't it it looks completely different to all the other trains that use that train station sure but and there was two departure boards on the on the platform and there was also regular announcements every single day someone would get on that train and ask me if this is the train to Birmingham right so why am I frightened to ask for help or ashamed to ask for help when it doesn't seem to bother them and there's a yeah. blooming great big sign just above them that says Birmingham yeah so you know like why are we so hard on ourselves yeah no that's that's a very good example because like I said, I've had people ask me if they're on the right train yeah um, and there is a I think there is a brief part of you that at least in my experience I think there's always a brief part of me that laughs at the irony you know of um, yes I, I, I always wonder but people get on the train and say, is this the train to Birmingham? I always wanted to say, no, it's an elephant. Yeah. Just to see what their reaction would be, but I never did. No, exactly. It, it's, I think, again, it's something I've talked about with previous guests, that there's many times where you, the sarcasm in you wants to uh, break free, but you know that uh, long-term, it's or even short-term, it's not going to really gain anything. So you... I- so you suppress it. Mm, I think one of my, where I just, I, I, I couldn't help it situations was I was in um, a supermarket with a friend and I had my white stick folded up under my arm because he, he was walking around with me. Sure. And um, not actually guiding me, but I was kind of, it was quiet and there was not many people around, so walking around together. Yeah, fair enough. I went to the till and the lady behind the till asked me, was the white stick under my arm an umbrella? Oh, Okay. So I unfolded it and said it wouldn't keep you very dry if it was raining, would it? Yeah. <laughs> Which was completely lost on her. But we just fell about laughing afterwards and uh, thought it was hilariously funny. But I just, it, what a ridiculous thing to say. It's not an umbrella. It doesn't even look like an umbrella. No, I was going to say I don't really... Um, I know I may not be the most uh, qualified when it comes to talking about the appearances, but yeah, I'm, I'd be pretty confident in saying that surely a cane... A folded cane does not look like an umbrella. No. Yeah. But um, so I guess uh, get um, back on track. So you mentioned, well, I guess with the cane, you mentioned uh, you didn't learn to use it until you were in your thirties. Um, you mentioned about um, learning at the special school about um, not mentioning you were um, you had a, a visual impairment. Or I believe the term nowadays, uh, you know, severe impairment, sight impairment, or severe sight impairment, um, until um, like when applying for a job, and you wouldn't mention until you um, like had the job. Like, is was that something you like the method you used when um, when like applying for jobs? Absolutely not, not at all, and that's not something I would ever recommend. No. I'm very upfront about my. Um, disability from the the, the outset. Um, I would sure. mention it on my CV, um, and I would be if someone doesn't want to if someone doesn't want to take a chance on employing me because of my sight loss, and I probably don't want to work there anyway. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't. I, I would always be very upfront about it, and I would always all, I always encouraged the, uh, my students when I was teaching employment skills to be upfront about it. Partly because if you if you don't, then you. Um, if they're a disability confident employer and have the two tick symbol, you you if you meet the essential criteria, you will get an interview. And yeah. if you get an interview, you've got a chance of, of getting the job. Now, quite often it's that 
they advertise a job with someone in mind anyway, so there is an internal candidate. And in, sure. if that's the case, you've got no chance. But you've still got the practice, you've still got a chance to, to prove yourself. And I have known a few times this happened where someone has been so good at an interview, a job has been created for them because they just blew the in- interviewer away. And I think you don't get the chance to prove yourself and show what you can do. Sure. I also would have, I mean, I've mainly worked. Um, I worked for a bank as a telephonist, which was the one of the jobs that um, blind and partially sighted people were herded into back in the day when, when I was leaving school. Sure. Um, I absolutely hated it. Nine, nine years of hell. <laughs> uh, because I was so bored. I mean, yeah. I used to do things like for a laugh, I'd say good morning in the afternoon and good afternoon in the morning just to see if people reacted and stuff like that. And, uh, we, I, just it was the most boring job ever. Um, so I got out of there as soon as I possibly could. But I hadn't done particularly well at school. Um, right. So I'd, I'd had to work hard to get qualifications and, and experience to get myself out, which, which I did. And since then, I've worked primarily within, I refer to it as the sight loss sector, RNIB um, and RNC. So I've, uh, and I also trained as a rehab worker as well, so I can teach mobility and daily living skills now. Um, so I've always worked within that sector. So it's been an advantage. And actually... Um, using that as an advantage has helped me get in, into jobs, not hindered me. Sure. Um, so uh, just before we move on, I just, I just want to quickly clarify for anyone who's not sure. Obviously, we mentioned what RNC was, but the RNIB is the is the Royal National mm. Institution f- uh, for the Blind. Royal, Na- Royal National Institute of the Blind. Yeah, yeah of the Blind. Yeah. Uh, yeah, charity over here in the in UK, but uh, yeah, just. Sorry, just thought I should clarify that. Yeah. But no, I that's fair enough as far as um, applying. And I, I mean, I agree with you, especially uh, I think in the modern day, especially where um, obviously the uh, Equalities Act in 2010 um, here in the UK anyway, um, you know, I think it's something, you know, where, you know, your blindness really shouldn't hold you back. And I think in my mind anyway, as far as like the idea of not putting on the CV personally, I, anyway, I just think if I didn't, you know, you then have to deal with it later anyway. And I think in a weird way, in my mind anyway, I feel like it, you know, if you weren't to mention, if I wasn't to mention that I was blind and then I got um, employed by the person and then I reveal that I'm blind I don't know, like, to me, there's, you know, you've started off um, your, um, you know, employer and employee relationship with uh, an element of, you know, lying. Well, you have. Yeah. Uh, you've, you've withheld information that would be, uh, they would need to know for uh, yeah. for your employment. And yeah. they, they are legally within their, their, um, their rights to withdraw the job offer to yes. you. Um, so it's something you do have to be certainly in the UK anyway. So you do have to be very careful on that. Also, if you want, if you are entitled to any aid, aids or adaptations, if there's any sort of government funding to help with that, yeah. we have access the access to work scheme. Um, you don't qualify for that if you haven't mentioned it either. So yes. you know, and far better to go in. I I if it. I mean, I actually just thinking it just occurred to me now with Zoom and Teams interviews, it actually would be possible to fake it. You could get away with not saying anything. Yes, but that, I don't think that that would help. <coughs> but also, but also, Sorry. if I can't, if I can't um, talk openly and honestly about my visual impairment yeah. to a potential employer, I probably shouldn't be applying for for the jobs that I'm applying for because I tend to go for jobs with that have an element of you know talking to people doing presentations doing training etc if I if I'm still hung up about my own visual impairment can't talk about it in an interview etc I probably need to work on that because I need to be able to ask for help I need to be asked asked to be able to tell people what the issues are quickly succinctly and ask for that help Otherwise, you're standing at the edge of the road going, excuse me, could you help me? Because I'm a little bit short-sighted. And can't, you know, oh, forget that. I'm like, yeah, I can't see very well. Can you help me across the road? Yeah, straight sure. in there. Life is life is short. Let's just deal with that sight loss bit, then leave it to one side and get on with living. Yeah. No, I'd say yeah, I pretty much agree. So we mentioned, uh, again, I'm 
going a bit backwards, uh, non mm. nonlinear structure and all that. So when it came to like working in your school and then like uh, you know accessing um, the materials you needed at work, like what was your main way of working? Because you, I think you, if I am recalling correctly, you said about not learning Braille at the specialist school. I've learnt Braille since I had to right. because um, you sure. need to 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 do it as part of the the rehab course, and I have to say it's the only exam in my life I've ever crammed for the night before. Right. Um, I, just, I revised, revised, but like, virtually the whole day the day before it. If I'm really rubbish at Braille, I can just right. manage grade one. But learning it, it's like learning anything um, new. As you get older, that becomes much much more uh, challenging than if you learn it at a very young age. But when I was when I was growing up, we didn't even have computers, so I was at school. Um, so obviously, I'm quite ancient. But um, I remember we got our first uh, computer. They were one of the old BBC ones um, when I was about fifteen or sixteen at right. school. Uh, and I'm a touch typist, and at the time was quite quite a fast typist. So I was given I was code was dictated to me to type into the the computer because I was the fastest typist in the school. Okay. Um, but learning to touch type, I have to say, was probably the best thing I ever did. Um, my, I, I was quite fortunate. One of my uncles was a typewriter mechanic, so right. he gave us all um, old manual typewriters to sort of like to, to practice on and to learn to touch type on. Cool. That also helped when I was learning Braille because Perkins Braille needs a needs a bit of thumping. They're not the not like a little um, computer keyboard where you barely touch the keys. You do no. need to give it a bit of welly. Yeah. And I was quite good at that because I'd learned to type on a manual typewriter. So uh, sure. that was that, that was that was help. But learning to touch type, um, we basically had to tape stuff. Um, you know, you had an old cassette recorder. If you wanted to tape a lesson, that's the only way that you could do it. Right. Um, and making things into putting things into large print basically meant photocopying them into a3 and you were lucky if you had an a3 photocopier because okay. they were still quite rare as well so it was sure. you know it was it was much harder i think le learning it in those days um, now information has technology has come on massively I'm, i always say that my very first home computer was probably less powerful than a mobile phone um sure. which I have now so it's it's changed massively and i think that's opened so many opportunities for um blind and partially sighted people Definitely. but it's also I think, put, put, I think put pressure on us as well yeah. because it's all you know there's there's a pressure to keep up to be as fast as everybody else to be able to access that information as quickly yeah. and if you're using i don't know i mean i used magnification software for, for many years um I still do, but now with both Macs and Windows Ten, Windows Ten, that's inbuilt. So yeah. I, I can I can jump onto anyone's laptop if it's a Windows Ten laptop, put the Mac on, use it. That for me was an absolute game changer because I'd never sure. been able to do that. I'd never just been able to jump on a, a PC and get on and use it. Um, so inbuilt magnification, I think, and in, inbuilt speech. It's not perfect, but it's oh, that's changed a lot of things for us. Um, but just technology has come on so much. But it, it, I think there's a danger of being a slave to that technology now. Um, and I do worry that it's great to do a podcast. We're actually talking because I think we spend so much time um, reading content, listening to content, not actually talking to each other, not actually having a conversation. And I think sure. you know, we're losing the art of conversation thanks to technology. So I think COVID has brought that back slightly because people are doing more video calls, but I really think we're losing, uh, and we're losing that that face-to-face -face connection as well a lot. Sure. Yeah, that's definitely uh, a whole other debate mm. with... Um... I think that's another podcast, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, the uh, yeah the reliability on technology mm. to the extent, yeah, like you said, um, not not talking using whether it's face to face or just even like using our voices, yeah, like like messaging. Mm. Don't remember, like messaging, whether it's you know over Facebook Messenger, you know, text, WhatsApp, you know, is great, but especially when you. Um, are talking to people who you either don't know well or obviously even on a um especially when or even when like you know with someone who i don't know you're trying to date or something or you're new in a relationship it's always mm. i think it's very easy or you you know sp to 
either write something incorrectly that it make that it comes across the wrong way or even from your own perspective you just get when you send it you then um get uh you know paranoid that it won't come across the way you want it to mm. um or see uh the other classic is you know how it's made us um sort of whether we know it or not i think a lot of people it makes for uh you know wanting an immediate response sort of mm. thing you know when sending Absolutely. the message and then especially if it's someone who you who i think you're you know trying to flow with i think the it's the classic where it's like you know a few seconds goes past um and the you know the mind just start the brain just starts to go into overdrive of their like mm. oh you know yeah they you know they hated it they hate me all that kind of thing <laughs> yeah. just they're like oh Absolutely. my yeah Absolutely. my life is yeah. o- my life is over you mm. know what am i going to do oh, i'm going to you know i have to throw this away i have to change my name and all that stuff oh they're typing um <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you, you kind of your heart stops and you think typing oh yes they are that's right you know and just i think we 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 live in an an instant world and there's so much pressure on on people at the moment there's so you know sort of like do this do that you know one of my big my big bugbears is you know we've all meant to be out there living our best lives and making this the best thing ever so the best christmas ever the best easter ever the best mother's day ever the best whatever no just go through life um, i always say that i try and get through my life without losing my temper and smacking someone on a daily basis yeah. and if i can do that then it's been a success really and everything else is bonus on top of that you just get through life don't don't put too much pressure on yourself that sure. you know there is i mean again i it's one of the things that, that annoys me slightly going off topic completely i thought yeah, we put a lot of pressure on on, on young people to make the decisions in their lives at sort of 16, 18, 21. Are you going to go to university? What are you going to do? Yeah. I went to university at 45. You can do these things later. You don't have to do everything at the same time as everybody else. Um, and if you're not ready for something, I wasn't ready to go at 18. I'd have been a, a mess. Sure. Um, so I think going, I went when I was ready to go and the right time for me. And I think we need to sometimes take a step back and not be pressured by society to fit into the same moulds as everybody else. Sure. No, I'd very much agree with that. Uh, I guess I would be uh, remiss not to ask, uh, like, what did you study when you went to university? I did the I did the professional qualification in rehabilitation studies, so it's a foundation degree. Um, so I only, I only did two years. I have to an absolutely fantastic but hard work two years um, sure. because te- teaching, learning to teach mobility in the rain, snow, freezing fog um, was not pleasant. I don't I, I don't really do kind of stuff like that. I'm a bit of a wimp, um, no. but I have to say it was an absolutely amazing uh, two years. And I even did my mobility assessment in about five or six inches of snow with with snow chains on so oh. i think if you can do that you can i can survive anything no definitely i would that sounds like a challenge it was because especially um because like where i've grew up we didn't really get much snow at all um as a result of being on the south coast uh so i couldn't imagine like doing that because i've in the few occasions i've had with snow i find i I don't know how you find it. I know I find it very disorientating. I find it really difficult, particularly, you know, your long cane doesn't pick up all of the things that you use, like the, the curbs and whatever, hard to find. But sure. also it's like someone just put a blanket over the world, so you exactly. lose all of your... It's the same with strong wind for me. I lose all of those sound cues that I use a lot. Yeah. No, definitely. Wind can be annoying at times i definitely agree with that but yeah like the snow yeah my main thing is that it is just like everything has gone white Mm. Uh, and yeah it's just makes everything so difficult because yeah like the path and the road and like if there was like grass either side of the path it just all blends into one and it's just very tricky Uh, it it is and then people clear their cars and put huge mounds of snow on the pavement so I usually end up walking in in the road in in those situations because it's just easier and they they tend to 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 clear quicker but um it's just you know it's it's also the glare of I find that really difficult for snow as well that's one of the hardest weather conditions for me so uh, it's a well-known fact that if it's snowing um I, I don't leave the house and my I'm very lucky to have a manager who um completely understands that and she lives 
um, only about sort of like 10 minutes drive from me in the next kind of town along. Okay. And so if it's snowing where I am, it will snow where, where she is as well usually. Sure. Uh, and she'll tell me not to go. If there's snow forecast for the next day, she'll say don't go in. So uh, um, I'm very lucky to work for, for, and I've worked for her now for a few years. Um, sure. Very lucky to, to have a manager who actually completely understands that actually those are tricky weather conditions if you're visually impaired. Sure, yeah. No, definitely. Um, you mentioned that you're currently working. Then, um, is it? Are you? Have you been able, like, especially during the uh, pandemic that uh, at the time of recording we are still in? Uh, have you been working from home, or have you been going it's, in? It's been a bit tricky because my current job, I'm the iconic liaison officer at Hereford Hospital. Yeah. Um. So I have a decent journey into work, and I have to use public transport. Uh, so it's been a bit because of course the, that puts me at a higher risk being on, on a train for an hour each each end of the day. Yeah, um, sure. I've been when I've been in in the eye clinic, I've been working shorter hours so I can get the slightly less busy trains. So I can avoid the rush rush hour trains. Sure. Um, because even even in a pandemic, there's been a lot of people still having to go into work. Yeah. Um, but I've only I've been in the job since last July and I've probably only been in the clinic a handful of times because every time I keep on being like no closing down um we've been through three three lockdowns now um and I'm I'm only sort of only just about to get back into clinic on a regular basis um from next week so I'll be back in two and then three days a week because I've had because I'm healthcare professional classes one i i've had my first um vaccine so right. i am able to start going back in now so i'll be in two days a week from the 8th of march but i've been i've been working from home and it's not been quite the same from home because you're not in to give the support in the clinic but then sure. a point people haven't haven't been encouraged to hang around in the eye hospital and they haven't wanted to either in the eye clinic so it's um it's been a bit of a strange time to work really uh, and it has been a bit of a strange time because uh, both me and my husband are working from home. So uh, right. uh, it's but we've I think we've we've managed quite well because we we stick to very regular breaks. So we have breaks at certain times in the morning and the afternoon. We try and keep lunch to a similar time so that we have a decent structure to our day. Because I think it's very easy just to carry on working and forget to take a break, forget to have to have a a, a, a drink, to sort of have a, have a bit of a stretch and a walk around. So we do keep to quite quite strict um, times. Sure, no, it's definitely um, handy to have a structure. Yeah, I can imagine even more so when um, one is working. Yeah. <clears throat> so we uh, I've obviously talked about like getting around uh, whether without or with a cane and some people may be wondering uh have you ever considered getting a guide dog has that ever been you know on your mind yes i did have a guide dog briefly um he he had some quite major behavioral issues including really bad separation anxiety and quite bad dog dog aggression Um, so he was he was retired off after four months Right. Um, he was a lovely dog, but just not cut out to, to the life of a guide dog. Sure. Uh, and, my, and my sister's had, I think she's, she's her current guide dog has just retired. And she's taking okay. a break for, for, for a little while. Um, but she's had guide dogs for quite a number of years now. So I'm used to them. Um, sure. The reason I don't have one, it part, I, it's a bit of a selfish reason, really. I really didn't like being upstaged by a Labrador all the time. <laughs> People would stop me and not talk to me, they'd talk to the dog, and I got yes. really fed up with that. Um, and I, I just found that, also, I said, at the time I was living in central London, where okay. the opportunities to be stopped were much greater than they probably are now, sure. living in a small town. Um, but it just, I mean, now I've got, I've got five cats, two of which are terrified of dogs. So okay. um, we'd have to have take a bit of time to get them used to dogs first and i don't really feel that I've, that i need it i actually found it quite restrictive having a guide dog because you've got to take you know, even if you let's say I, I had the opportunity to meet a friend and go down the pub after work you've got to think about i mean hopefully when pubs open again one day um yeah, sure. you've got to one think day. about have you got the dog's food with you is there somewhere for the dog to go to the, go, go to the toilet do all of the, you know you've always got to be thinking about the dog and I just I like the freedom of something I can fold up and, and put beside me on the table or just sure. put behind the door when I come in. Yeah, no, that makes sense. 
As, uh, and I've never been I've never been stopped and asked how old is your cane, what does it yeah. eat, how long have you had it? You, know, you don't get you don't get those those conversations that I know guide dog owners get all the time, and I think that would just annoy me. I'd start being sarcastic. Yeah, no, understandable. Because uh, again, to what I was saying earlier, as far as many times where the sarcasm within you is rising, definitely. Uh, all the times I get asked about mm. my dog is because um, I have my second guy dog now, but um, yeah, with both of them, yeah, you get it's the usual kind of stuff. You're basically on autopilot pretty much every conversation. Yes. So, I guess uh, to get away from uh, work and that kind of stuff, when it comes to like hobbies, are there any particular ones um, you know that you have? Well, for, for many years, I was involved with and helped run a drama group, am- amateur drama group for visually impaired people uh, when I lived in London. And the idea of that was that, I mean, everyone was welcome to join the group, but 50% of all people involved in various productions or on the committee, etc., had to have a visual impairment. Um, okay. So because it's quite difficult to break into amateur dr- drama anyway. Sure. Um, but if you've got a, a disability, it's even harder. So um, we had both people with all, you know, with, with a range of, of, of disabilities as well join, join the group, and um, some sighted, able-bodied people too. So it was just it was a really lovely mixed group of of experience, ability, and disability, or, or not or not disability as well. So it's lovely to have a group like that. Um, I am hoping once lockdown is gone to get I've, I've kind of I took a break for a long time and when I moved to the Midlands I didn't get back involved in, in drama at all um, okay. but I'm going to get back involved with our, our local um, theatre because they do a regular children's theatre productions right. one of the things I'd like to start doing I've always wanted to write um, plays and, and things like that so I want to, to start by, by acting and directing again and then okay. maybe look at start starting to write children's theatre but trying to address some of the issues so using using theatre as a way to address some of the issues like um, I don't know, my first idea is to write a play about not feeding the guide dog right um, but actually do it as a fun play where, where children are taught that actually that's not right and the reason that's not right. And if you if sure. you learn through fun, you I think you know if if you're laughing, um you're learning because if you're yeah. if it's something that, that's making you laugh and, and you you'll remember that. So that's 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 my idea to start writing. That's kind of my as I as I head towards you know retirement at some point in the in the future, fingers crossed. Um I'll uh, not too far away. I'll um start writing more more for for children's theatre so that I can you know but it's also to have some fun as well and it's a great fun it's almost like a mini panto it's a great thing to do definitely but at the moment uh, I don't know if you'd actually call this a hobby but um, I'm uh, standing again as a a county councillor in the elections in in May and I've stood a few times in local elections over the last kind of six years um, but I've 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 stood every single election going, um, partly apart from the general one because I wouldn't do that. Sure. Far far too much like hard work. But um, yeah. I went. I stood as a, a town councillor back in 2015, um, and at the count, people, somebody thanked their the outgoing councillor for gifting them the seat because they stood unopposed. And I thought, whatever your politics, there needs to be opposition. There needs to be um, a choice on the ballot paper. So I, I tend to stand in unwinnable seats to give people a choice. So I know I'm not going to win. In fact, I don't want to win. But I want people to have the choice and I want people to have an alternative than just um, spoiling their ballot paper or not voting. Because I think it's really important that people vote. Out. And I think it's also really important that disabled people are seen in those those kind of situations because you know the only way that we're ever really going to change society is to be part of the the group of people that make the decisions that changes society so be the politicians be the the leaders that's the only way we're going to get real change so you know in my own small way i'm trying to trying to make a dent into um in in sort of like in, in worcestershire which is an uphill struggle frankly but you know it's it's gives people the choice and that for me is it's all about choice oh yeah that, that's all sounds very good and i mean good on you um for 
that's standing um, for for the county council. Even if you're not confident of winning, I mean, it's not something I think I would do, to be honest. It's and again, it's my main reason for doing it is that I think the best way to show people that actually, as a visually impaired person, there is so much I could do is actually doing it and doing the yeah. things that that I can do. And it is it is quite a challenge. I mean, particularly somewhere like um, Worcestershire, where you know, public transport is a bit rubbish, um, particularly in the evenings. That yeah. technology has really helped this time around because all of the potential candidates have to be interviewed first um, to make sure that they, they understand what they're taking on, but also that they're suitable. And I've done quite a few of those panel interviews because they've all been done via Zoom and I can do them now. I couldn't get to County Hall to interview people at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning because there isn't a way to get there on public transport, but I can do it via Zoom. Sure, yeah. I, I admit, because um, I've been told before about the public transport in Worcester not being the best, and I do feel, you know, call me naive, but I found that a slight surprise when I was told about that, considering that, you know, you've got the new College Worcester there, which is obviously a secondary school and sixth form mm. for the for blind people people i think more i think public transport is going to take even more of a kicking after covid because people just haven't been been using it in the same way no, definitely. but i think in in sort of like worcester in, in the same in in hereford i think you'd expect i mean i would say both both towns are the places where i felt the most um accepted as a as a blind person because using a, a long cane is quite common in both of those towns sure yeah um, so I, I always used to joke that I, I live near one of the, 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 the most accepting towns and I work in one of the most accepting towns um, because yeah. they're just used to it. They're used to seeing a lot of us around. Definitely. But I think both are, both sort of like institutions in inverted commas are almost there by accident. They, sure. It's not, um, they don't really get involved in things like campaigning for better buses or better transport or more integrated transport. Yeah. I think that's a real shame because they could do much more for the sort of like the population locally. Um, but there, there just isn't a lot of, of options transport wise. And that's only going to get worse, I think. And it is something that we, we need to be very, very careful of um, and start campaigning. But I think also <laughs> Social media has done a, a great thing. You know, it's great for keeping in contact, and I am able to keep in contact with my family in in Ireland more than I ever have been. And you know, I've got family in Canada as well, sure. and I hear much I hear from them more than I would ever do normally. Yeah. But social media can be a bad thing. Someone goes on Facebook, puts a, a rant on about how rubbish their local bus service is, and they think that's all they need to do. Yeah. When actually that doesn't help at all because the bus company do not care how many people go on Facebook and, and rubbish them. Um, the only way you do that is through your, your, your local council to make sure there is funding. So your local county council to make sure there, there is funding for those transport services um, and, and national government. Ranting on, on, on spotted Worcester, it's not actually going to change anything. Sure. You know, that no, definitely makes sense. I will say I agree with you as far as I can't comment on Worcester because I've never been there. But in the couple of years I had at RNC, definitely um, being in uh, the city of Hereford, it, it definitely seemed overall that yeah, people were just more used to it. And there was, as a result, assistance was normally pretty good in comparison to some of the mm. places where I've been, it has to be said. <clears throat> but uh like we're talking about like um i suppose uh disability uh you know in society as mm. suppose i'd be curious to know if you know someone who i guess has witnessed um you know change when it comes to that like do you have any like thoughts on that like you know i suppose the um attitude towards disability i guess is what i'm asking like how it's changed, if at all? Uh, I think it's, it's... This is a difficult one because I don't actually think it's changed that much. I, sure. Yeah, um, I think in, in some aspects, I think over the last few years, the attitude to disability has got worse, not better. Sure. In that 
we're we're included more. Um, and in things like that, uh, meetings now being done via Zoom means I can do far much more um, locally, sort of like being politically active than I could do before because I haven't got to drag myself to Evesham or, or Pershaw or Worcester or something, you know, sure. which is which is a challenge um, because some of that there isn't much public transport options. Um, you're relying on someone giving you a lift. So I haven't had to do that in the same way. So there's some things that have been better, but I think generally the attitude from the general public has become a lot worse. And I think that's partly down to the media and the way that disability has been perceived. And I'll put my political hat on here and I say um, austerity and the sort of like since 2010 and the the Conservative and, um, and also the coalition governments have fueled that agenda by by encouraging people to think that disabled people are a drain on society that you know we're all not working we all um rely on benefits etc well sure. apart from a, a brief period of about a year I've, I've worked all my life um yeah that wasn't my fault i was made redundant and i went decided to go to uni when i couldn't get a job so uh, sure. um you know i've i've, I've I think that, that generally disabled people are almost have been have been vilified by the press as kind of scroungers and fakes and all of that kind of thing. And yeah. everyone knows someone in inverted commas. They know someone down their street who's claiming disability benefits and there's nothing wrong with them. Uh, that worries me. That kind of rhetoric really really concerns me. And I think we we are now we've now got we're now becoming a society that is both frightened to offend people by saying the wrong thing. Sure. But also um, happy to to sort of like to to, to slag off people. And I give give you I've got an example of this. Yeah, um, please do. I was trying to get back from work a couple of years ago. One of the hottest days of the year. So hot it melted the overhead uh, power cables for the trains. That right. hot, um, which is ridiculous. I mean, in this country we don't seem to be able to manage that. It snows too much. Trains don't run. Too hot. The trains don't run. But anyway, yeah. Trying to get home. No trains. Um, I've normally been able to play, I, I, I hold my hands up to this, play the blind card and get the rail company to, to sort me out with a taxi home. But yeah. I tried it on this time around, sure. didn't get anywhere. The woman from the, uh, um, the the train station came with me to, to flag down the bus. Okay. But my I tried to get on the bus previous to that, but my bus pass ran out two days before that. Right. I didn't realise this because in London I'd automatically always been sent a reminder letter to go and renew my bus pass. Worcestershire, you have to check when your bus pass runs out and renew it yourself. Sure. Well, I can't. It's it's not very big print, and I didn't see it on yeah. there. Oh, with a magnifying glass under a good light, I probably could, but not out and about. No, um, definitely. So I didn't didn't know that it had run out. Yeah. Tried to get on the bus, he turned me away, um, and they don't take the tickets on that particular bus. Right. So get on the bus. She lady flags down the bus for me. Gets on. Tells the driver to take me. Right. Um, and she explains why. The, and the driver was fine. She said, "I'll oh, go on then. Go and sit down." Um, uh, the there were some people at the back of the bus who started on the. What's so special about her? She's just blind. I've had to pay. What's the, who does she think she is? What they're really having a go, but not actually at me. We're chuntering away to each other about her. You know those those disabled people. They're getting on here. They're th- 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 showing their bus passes around, sure. throwing the bus pass in your face, all of that. A very lovely man came and obviously you could tell what was going on. He came and sat opposite me because it was the seats where you face each other. Okay. Um, and he talked to me the whole way home. These people ranting down the back of the bus, oh, I'm going to have a word with the driver, I'm going to sort it out, meekly got off the bus without saying anything as they had to walk past me, but are quite happy to slag me off from the far end of the bus, you know, when they're, you know, not cane hitting, just, you know, they're far enough away not to be whacked by the cane. Yeah, sure. Um, and I think that is when you experience something like that, I'm a joke about it now, but actually at the time it's really upsetting. Um, oh, of course. Because, because people are talking about you yeah. um, when you're sat there and they know you can hear them, sure. but they don't care. And I think that's, I think, we've, we've, we now have a society where it, people are frightened to say anything. So people are so frightened to say the wrong thing, they won't say anything, but they're also not scared to, to be completely completely horrible if they get the opportunity and particularly online where people can hide behind fake ids and they can hide behind their keyboard yeah, no, and say not. what they like yeah and i think we you know we live in a society where it's got better but also you know we take a small step forward and then probably a large step back on an almost daily basis as far as disability rights are concerned 
Yeah, and without getting too much further into it, I think it's fair to say you could argue that for any minority. Absolutely, um, yes. I think, you know, with seeing a lot of there's been a huge step forward, I think, um, Black Lives Matter, but it's also yeah. brought out some some really horrible racism. Brexit as well has brought out some really horrible racism um, from society. And another another groups in society, I've recently done, went on a... a um, uh, gypsy Romani and travelers awareness thing where we uh, had a talk from, from 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 somebody from from that group sure. um, and it was really interesting to hear some of the, the things that, has happened, that happened to him and, and you know heartbreaking to hear some of the, the experience of him and people that he knows as well um, and I think as we equal it up for some members of society we forget others um, I've also had a couple of quite heated rails on facebook uh, with a lot of anti-trans stuff that's doing the rounds at the moment as well yeah. i think we've got to be so careful that you know everyone has the right to be themselves and to live a good life without prejudice and we need to be careful that we don't leave some people behind sure definitely i mean i think that's why i'd say like my main approach to this stuff i thought most of my life now has basically been, you know, if they're not hurting anyone, what's the problem? Absolutely. People should be themselves and they should be happy as yeah. themselves and allowed to be themselves. And if that if that's to do with race, gender, disability, whatever, that's, that's you know, none of us have the right to, to judge other people and make assumptions. I was once told many years ago, never assume or presume anything. And I think those are that, that's probably one of the best bits of advice I've ever had. And definitely, because in the, in the case of the disability one, because like you talk about that, I suppose the best example I can think of to illustrate the point you're making off the top of my head is when I've had, you know, assistants and then they the person, or I'm, or I'm in a queue anyway, and then someone f working for the place I'm in comes along and, you know, asks me to follow them. And basically they they have me skip the queue and go, you know, and, you know, go to the till and pay and stuff. And mm. sometimes you hear them, sometimes you don't. But you know that people, like I said, whether externally or internally, are grumbling at the fact that you're allowed to skip the queue. But the way I always think about it is, again, to what you said, it's that like they're assuming that I'm asking for that, that I'm, I don't know, it's almost like I'm waving, you know, a disability flag, like saying, you know, I should be allowed to skip the queue. I'm, you know, I'm not expecting it to happen, but, you know, I'm not going to reject it when, no. when it's offered. And in the same way that I know you know, I'm pretty confident in saying, you know, I know for a fact that none, if they were in my situation, none of those people would, you know, reject the opportunity, you know, to make their day go along a bit quicker. Do you know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. And I think it's that, you know, and no one's, rarely is anyone ever brave enough just to say it to your face, but they'll make the odd chuntery comment behind your back. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the best one I've ever had of those was um, get, trying to get on a train at Birmingham New Street and group of, of, um, sort of like students stood beside me and one of them says oh we can shove on uh, the train before before this woman point obviously pointing at me and saying she because she can't see us yeah and he was stood right next to me so I turned sure. to him and said yes but she can hear you yeah and all his friends laughed including most of the people around us and yes. he felt really stupid but you know people make assumptions they they because they you can't see they presume that you that you're deaf and you're stupid and you can't answer back yeah, well you get the deaf one a lot yeah yeah they picked on the wrong person than me because <laughs> I'll, I'll make a joke about it and i won't i rarely will confront people because i don't think that helps anything and no. these days of course you never know what they've got on them do you really so yeah. be a little careful um but i will try and make a joke because i think if you can use humor um, it diffuses the situation, but also if that person starts to feel silly, um, they, they're not going to confront you back. They're going to sort of walk away and whatever. Uh, in fact, they're going to slink away down, as he did down the other end of the train. Yeah, um, sure. And I think it's, it's it, using humour, and I use that a lot. I use it a lot in, 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 if I'm doing any training, yeah. uh, if I'm talking about myself. Um, 
because I think if you can if you can connect with people using that humour, I think it can make a huge difference, and people will remember you. I don't necessarily want to be remembered as, as blind Val, but I, I hope that people remember me for being fun making people laugh and the fact that I've got a sight problem as well but I, I don't try and hide it I used to fold my white stick up and put it under the, the seat now I fold it up and put it on the table in front of me because sure. it's part of me and I'm not I'm not going to hide it um, I can't if I'm walking down the street it's going to be fairly obvious so uh, why why try and pretend that it's not there you know just embrace it make the most of it but also be upfront about it and don't try and, and hide it and I think if you do that people well, people have to be more accepting because you've kind of just rammed it in their face, really, haven't you? So they don't sure. have a choice. Yeah, no, <clears throat> makes no it makes sense. And now, as I, as I said, I mean, you give the example of on the um, being on the train platform. It mm. people, yeah, like you said, like seeming to mix up disabilities. You know, whether intentionally or not, it's it happens quite often where like you said you mm. get you get people saying stuff and it's like you know i can you know can hear you um sort of thing like you say it's like it's it's odd that that happens to be honest i think a lot of it is that people and they say going back to what i said people are frightened to say the wrong thing so they're frightened sure. you know people get so hung up on language and i think as a as a group um blind and partially sighted people uh, uh, don't we don't know what to call ourselves and i got into a, a debate recently about using the term sight loss now i work mainly with people who are losing their sight and mainly with people over the age of, of 70 sure. they will not refer to themselves as partially sighted right. they will describe themselves as having um sight loss or being partially blind um, the the people use different terminologies, and I think it's very different for me. Having grown up with someone uh, with something, I haven't had full sight to lose, so I don't know what it's like to have sight loss. Sure, I know what it's like for that sight to get a bit worse, but I don't know what it's like to have never had full sight. Yeah. Um, but we get so hung up on what we call ourselves, we actually forget that there's so much more that we need to be campaigning on there's so much more going on there that we're being discriminated against that we're missing out on and actually far better to 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 not get hung up on the terminology and maybe own some of that those negative terms rather than um make them sort of like you know rather than, than, than fight against them why not make why not why not own them for, for ourselves as you know sort of like a lot of gay people have, have reowned the word queer why don't we do that around disability why don't we have disability pride um sort of like days where you actually say oh, i'm disabled so i don't care you know society get used to it because sure. i'm not changing anytime soon you know and i think that something like the pride movement we could learn an awful lot from that no i'd say that makes sense i admit personally i don't think i mean i wouldn't probably attend any pride thing but that's just because of myself um, but I do agree that's with you. It's your choice, absolutely. Yes. It's, it's yeah. a personal choice. Well, it's just like I'm just not into, you know, that kind of event. But I, I, yeah. I mean, I agree with you definitely when it comes to the disability, you know, as a word. It's, I've never understood why some people, you know, don't like it as a word. And that's, in my opinion, that is something as well that happens that, you know, whether it's disability or other terms, you know, um, I think that's where sometimes, uh, whether it's, um, you know, blind people or any other mm. disability, that's where sometimes we, you know, shoot ourselves in the foot because some people, you know, may get a bit more sensitive about certain words and then that, encu <clears throat> that encourages the, you know, the idea of the fully abled community, you know, mm. being worried about, you know, what they can say. Exactly. And I used to, and I've done a lot of visual awareness training in the time and I always say to people that if I'm stood by the side of a road trying to cross it and having and having problems and you can tell I'm having problems getting across, I don't care what you call me. I just want to get across that road. You can call me what you like. We can have yeah. that debate when I'm safe on the other side of the road. But you know, don't be frightened to come up and talk to me. No, but and that's where the difference is because I've had situations like that. Whether I'm had my cane or with my guide dog, it normally is with my guide dog. But that's where coming up and asking, mm. no problem with that. 
uh, coming Grabbing up. Grabbing and yes. pulling, yeah. Yeah, that's where, that is wrong. yeah, that's where the um, difference is. And that's, I'd argue that's not, you know, that's not me encouraging them being afraid to ask. That's just, I would argue that's just, um, you know, basic human, you know, decency. You don't just, you know, grab people. No. You know, um, in any situation, even before this pandemic was a thing. Because you certainly don't grab them now, but you, you you didn't before then. And I've been I've been grabbed and shoved into a, a seat on the underground, and I was only going one stop. And I said, sure. "Look, I don't want to sit down." But she wouldn't stop. She just was shoving me at this seat. Yeah, because because that's another thing as well. For like to go back to when I was giving the example of being in the queue and um, being mm. asked if I wanted to skip. That's another reason, at least for me personally, and I think for other blind people as well, why you just accept it as well because you know can cannot be asked to go through the process of being there like oh no it's fine and they'll be there like no 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 i insist sort of thing you know because then that becomes a bit of a um that can become a bit of a endless awkward conversation absolutely and i think some people just want to help they want to feel you know and i think sometimes by by resisting taking that help are we actually making that person feel less good about themselves? Because they, and it's not, I'm not, yeah, slightly wrong words here, but um, I don't think we, we should be in the business of making everyone feel good about themselves. But actually, some people genuinely want to help. Um, oh, yeah. Or need, need to help. They, they perhaps are going through some pretty rubbish times themselves. And by helping somebody else, it distracts them from what they're going through. I think sometimes by not accepting the help, not asking for help or not making it easy to help you can actually turn people away from you. That people, it's not that they, they, they don't like you, but they don't want to, and I, you know, um, I don't necessarily need to, everyone to, to like me. <laughs> they do, that's lovely. But if they don't, that's their problem. Um, sure. But it's making it easy for somebody else to, to you know, by helping me, that actually might have really helped them more than it's helped me. No, definitely. But sometimes it's allowing yourself to be helped can actually do more for that other person. And it's understanding that it's not necessarily about us and saying, can I help you with that? Isn't necessarily meaning I don't think you can do that because you're blind. It's actually, I genuinely want to help you with that. No, definitely. Well, I think this is a good place to um, wrap up. We've had, uh, we've had a good stretch there at the end. Um, we we have yes, yeah. and probably put the world to rights a bit there as well. I think so. It's good. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But um, thanks again for joining me today, Val. That's no problem at all. As as you can tell, I like the opportunity to talk. <laughs> There's probably a donkey sanctuary without any few donkeys without any back legs there because I think I've got the uh, um, come, coming from an Irish background. I definitely have the gift of the gab. Sure. Yeah. No. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, especially, I mean, when doing a podcast, it's uh, a good thing, if anything. Yes. I would I would argue. <clears throat> um, but, yeah, as we would talk about RNC, with as some being uh, half Irish myself, I'm very uh, familiar with uh, mm. things as such as, like you said, the gift of the gab and all that. <clears throat> but, yeah, again, like I said... It's been uh, good having you on and thank you to everyone for listening. Goodbye. Well, that was a very informative chat. Hopefully you found it educational and somewhat entertaining. You can follow me on Twitter at TheBlindBrennan. Send an email to TheBlindBrennan at gmail.com or join the Facebook group Listen With Your Eyes. If you can like, share and rate the podcast, that would be very much appreciated. You've been listening with your eyes, and you'll hear us again next time. Mm-hmm.